This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at fearfreepets.com. This is the Fear Free podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Dale. Would be silly if I were alone. I'm not. I'm with Nicole Kenny. She's the vice president of professional and technical services for Virox. Her teams at Virox manage clinical and research studies and biosecurity education. Uh, hello there, Nicole. Hi, how are you? I'm okay, but in light of this thing we're calling the pandemic, uh, this is where I'll start. A great place to start, not upbeat, <laughs> but we got to talk about it. So what infection prevention changes do you think will continue and become standard practice, maybe even standard operating procedure within veterinary practices, also grooming and boarding facilities What has the pandemic in the end taught us or reminded us maybe things we weren't doing all along? Mm -hmm. It's such a great question. And and I think I'd like to say that, you know, within veterinary practices or, or, you know, any animal gathering area, whether it's boarding or grooming, is we had and always understood that there were potential concerns between, you know, animals or even infections transmitting to humans. And so if we look at the veterinary practice first, a lot of those practices were in place already, but we often thought more about animal-to-animal transmission. We weren't necessarily thinking about the impact of human transmission. Um, We might have thought of the zoonotic transmission of potentially picking up, you know, uh, something from the animals, rabies, or or what have you. But really now it's the impact of how we as colleagues and coworkers could potentially impact um, the health of of our colleagues and how that could be detrimental to the to the facility. So I think I think that will be something that is brought in as a larger consideration for, you know, the impact of human health and how that can impact our ability to to practice. Also understanding how the pet owner could negatively impact our practice um, from bringing, you know, whether it's coronavirus or, you know, we're coming into influenza season as well. Um, so really keeping that in mind. And I'm hoping what we what we really understand is just that the need for meticulous hand hygiene that we need to be thoughtful about that. We've always talked about it, but you know, we often get cavalier. We don't necessarily always wash our hands after touching an animal. Um, and so really understanding that we need to be very thoughtful about hand hygiene and that becomes, you know, a heightened practice, as well as our our environmental surface disinfection, um, that we are improving how we're doing it, with what frequency that we're thinking about, you know, the stethoscope that might be wrapped around um, our necks going from patient to patient, Mm -hmm. or maybe we're thinking about the leashes and the collars. And so, you know, when I've been talking with some of the grooming and boarding facilities, it's the idea of, you know, if if a leash or a collar is not that expensive, rather than allowing your clients in there, you know you've cleaned and disinfected and you can just use that, um, have your own for those animals so that you're not bringing anybody's external um, potentially contaminated items into the facility. So I'm hoping mm. those are some of the things that, um, that will continue and it's just kind of heightened that we had some of those or we had thought of those practices and now it's just really, you know, using what's happened to us um, since March in, in keeping that top of mind. So we are keeping it top of mind. I I think veterinarians have been trained, as you kind of allude to, 
veterinary professionals, I want to include technicians and nurses for sure, uh, have been trained in, in the general notion of concern. I would argue maybe in a, a greater way than the human medical field. Uh, because mm -hmm. because of the knowledge of zoonetic illness for one and for another, just because the training is in more more in depth in that area. Having said that, okay, you go into work and you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this, and I'm only talking about the, the type of things that we do to keep ourselves safe and yep. to keep the pets safe as far as cleaning goes. Is there really such a thing, or am I making up the term pandemic fatigue? I don't think so. I mean, I know, you know, even if I look at myself personally, where I'm seeing myself slip a little bit. Um, certainly, I'm wearing my mask when I'm going in, in the public. Um, but, you know, I've, in, in, in my role, I've been coming into the office throughout the entire pandemic. I haven't been working from home. I have been you know, here as part of our leadership team to support our manufacturing group. And as you start working with the same group of people all the time, you, we tend to not necessarily keep our distance because it just becomes, I see you every day and you're part of, you know, my mm -hmm. group here at work, but I don't know what you do after hours. And so I think it's easy to, you know, where I see people wearing masks still, and I think people are still conscious with their hand hygiene, but I would also question, you know, when was the last time you disinfected your your cell phone? Um, I was laughing about that today, thinking that I put this new cover on it, and it's not one that really can be disinfected easily, and I know better. Um, and so I think you kind of, it's easy, and that's where, while we've been trained with infection prevention in mind and zoonotic diseases, it's that if this becomes your day-to-day, -day, it's easy to just have that become part of your natural, um, re like kind of what you're doing, and then it, it just, you start to forget. You start being uh, not maybe as safe. You might not put your mask because it's like, oh, I know, you know, my client Mary's coming in. I talk to her all the time, and, and we start to make those little lapses. And so I think that's where we're fatigued, and it might not always be at work, um, it might be more in our personal lives, and of course, that has that direct potential for what can happen. Um, you know, coming back into into our, our work, and we're, you know, if I can use some of the examples in terms of what we're seeing now with this, you know the potential of a second wave in Canada, we're seeing increased rates. Um, of COVID. And some of that is because we're seeing, you know, groups are getting together. They're, you know, the 20-somethings the that have gone back to university are, you know, going out and partying and because you just want to get back to regular life. Um, and I think that's where we become fatigued. And it's particular in our work practices, it's making certain that we're not letting our guard down um, and also being mindful of what we're doing in our, our personal time so that we don't impact our coworkers as well. Can there be a fatigue going the other way? where people, uh, individuals are so perfectly stringent about not only following the rules, but going above and beyond, that it's exhausting on a day-to-day -day basis because there you are doing that at home. Maybe you've got two kids or three kids and you want to make sure they're safe and you do everything you are supposed to do and be on. You never forget that mask is always on. You never forget to wash your hands and you make sure your kids are always washing their hands, always remind. Then you go to work 
And you have mm-hmm. to do the same thing. And yes, I work with you every day, but I'm going to keep my distance. And oh, I didn't, but I'm now going to. And you're constantly thinking about it. Can there be another type of exhaustion going the, uh, the opposite way? That's, that's an amazing point. And it's one that I hadn't really... I hadn't really thought of in that aspect in terms of until you kind of brought it up, but, but absolutely, because it also, I mean, I'm not a mental health expert, but, you know, certainly it's that heightened, there's a point in terms of like the, the, the concept of fighter, you know, flight or um, fight. And when you're in that increased level of stress and concern and you're trying to protect yourself, it, it you know, it can get exhausting and, and, you know, emotionally, you know, difficult where then it can potentially impact your, your work because you become so concerned about your well-being that you're not maybe paying attention and that, you know, might then lead to, you know, an unattended consequence where, you know, maybe you get bit by an animal or you cut yourself with, you know, scissors or a scalpel or something like that. And I think, I think there is that possibility and, and it's trying to find that balance between, you know, infections have always been around. And I think that's what I'm taking away myself is that is like my background, my mom was a nurse. Uh, I grew up on a beef farm. My family had a, a large dairy exporting uh, uh, company as well. And so I've always been around the concept of biosecurity and what we had to do. And, um, you know, certainly playing in the barns and then coming into the house, what my what my mother had to do. So I was taught at a young age. And so when you're always told to wash your hands and you kind of had some of those basic practices in place, it's just part of what I've always done. It's what I've instilled in, in, in my son. But if you haven't had that upbringing, it can then become, you know, create anxiety and it creates fear. And I think that's really what we've seen a lot of uh, with the pandemic. And hopefully, you know, we understand, I'm hoping we'll get to a point where we understand that, you know, germs have always been around there, around us. And it's a matter of these are the things that, that we just, we need to do on a day-to-day basis. And so hand hygiene particularly becomes just something that we do rather than something that we have to actually think about. Here's something that's perfectly up your alley. This is your wheelhouse. So what mistake, you're the expert, what mistakes are we making unintentionally, of course, uh, with the use of disinfectants? (laughs) Uh, We would need several hours for that, (laughs) but... Uh um, and there are times where I just, you know, kind of want to do the face palm when I see things. Um, I think, you know, the basic common mistake is disinfectants do not kill on contact. So, you know, as soon as you spray, it's it's not like spray and walk away and immediately everything's dead. Um, and so we need to read our product labels and you need to understand what the contact time of the product is. And so contact time is the wet dwell time, the the length of time a surface has to stay wet in order to achieve disinfection. And, you know, our products, uh, you know, from an EPA perspective, you're going to have products that range from disinfection contact times from 30 seconds up to 10 minutes. You can't be longer than 10 minutes in accordance with the EPA policies. Um, But if your product is 10 minutes, that means that surface has to stay wet for 10 minutes. And there is you know, a significant amount of peer-reviewed published showing that if you don't achieve that level, you're not actually achieving full disinfection. And so, you know, if we're spraying and immediately wiping, you're not, um, you're not achieving disinfection. So there's kind of, you know, part of what I'm seeing 
seeing now is almost this disinfection theater. Everybody is, you know, showing and highlighting how we're disinfecting, but we need to make certain we're doing it properly in that, you know, we're looking at contact time and ensuring that our surfaces are staying wet and we actually are killing what we, uh, what we need to do. And so that's really one of the most important things, um, you know, not just for the pandemic, but for everything. I think some of the other areas are not understanding chemical interactions. And so, you know, during COVID, um, calls to poison control have increased by more than 50%, and they were increasing, you know, month over month. And some of that is is from, you know, the, the general public using more product at home and running into issues, certainly. But there is, you know, an, again, considerable evidence um, of the impact of chemicals and disinfectants uh, on people, and we're seeing more occupational uh, asthma as a relation to mm. the use of disinfectants, um, particularly with chlorine-based or quaternary ammonium-based uh, compounds. And so it's, it's, again, how are you using it? Are you diluting it properly? You know, just because it's something new, people often think, okay, more is better. Um, and, you know, certainly on my French fries, I like a lot of salt, but I don't need a lot of salt. And it's kind of like, you know, don't keep adding more thinking that you're going to, you know, kill something faster. You need to use it properly. You need to dilute. And that's one of the other areas, because then if you don't do that, you're running into occupational health and safety issues. And, you know, certainly um, that's not what we want to do where people are harming themselves. Um, My other favorite one um, that I would would look at is kind of the idea of, uh, um, you know, the shine, I call it the shiny surface syndicate, meaning that if the surface is shiny, it must be, you know, free of pathogens. And I think, you know, there's enough, again, data to show that that's not true. Um, and so it's just really understanding that how are we using the products, um, the contact time, the dilution, um, all of that is is really what I see the the biggest hurdle or mixing things together. Um, I call that custodial chemistry, where you know <laughs> we think you know, hey, I I like how this product you you know cleans, and I like how this product disinfects. So if I mix them together, I must be making something better. And that's where we we really need to leave that to the experts. Um, and that's where some of the biggest issues um, that I see come in play, where we think we can add something to our disinfectant, and we don't realize that you know, we might be either creating something that's more toxic or or we're actually neutralizing, meaning that your disinfectant isn't going to work at all. So rather than once the exam table is wiped, rather than dry wipe it, you know, mm-hmm. should you just let it dry on its own? Air dry? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of, you know, I kind of uh, equate to it as, you know, one and done or wipe and walk away. But this is where it's really important to know the disinfectant that you're using. Um, Lots of people love to spray, and if you're actually to visualize spraying onto, say, a black surface or even stainless steel, you're going to see that your disinfectant doesn't, it, you know, you're not getting an even distribution. And if your disinfectant is not getting to every surface, it can't disinfect. And that's often why we, you know, immediately wipe or you try to, you know, you're wiping it off. Um, And that's where the use of a pre-moistened wipe, whether it's a disposable one or whether you're using um, a microfiber that has been um, moistened with disinfectant, that idea of wiping and allowing it to dry. Um, You're getting physical removal through that wiping and you are getting um, 
the product is being released onto the surface. You're, you're visibly, visibly seeing that your surface is wet. Um, and then allowing it to air dry is important. Now, if you're using a product that evaporates, so if you're using products that have um, any sort of alcohol uh, in it, it's going to evaporate really quickly. And um, I have a video example that, that we've shown kind of comparing two different chemistries showing that, you know, a quaternary ammonium alcohol product evaporates really, really quickly. And if it has a contact time of three minutes or, or even one minute, you're going to have to reapply it, you know, multiple times. Hmm. Um, and so it really is that visual of the surface stays wet for the length of your contact time. Wow. I, I didn't know all that, to tell you the truth. Uh, so curbside, so mm-hmm. many practices are doing that now. So mm-hmm. uh, the technician, the veterinarian, someone goes out either outside or li- just outside, the, or opens the door of the clinic and that's it. Or I was talking to someone, they actually have, a, it, it sounded like uh, you, you, a drive-up bank window and it, it's small enough to pass a cat or a small dog through the way they've designed it. Others actually go out to the parking lot, of course, or go out to the mm-hmm. street. What precautions should we take, no matter which of the above, except maybe the drive-up window? I'm not sure how many veterinary clinics have that. But what, what precautions should people take? Well, I think it's, you know, the, the thought of, um, you know, no different than when the animal comes in. I think in this time we have to think that the, you know, I'm not going to say the animal is going to give us COVID, but I think we need to be conscious of, hey, you know, how dirty is their, um, is their leash? So if I'm dealing with a dog or the, you know, I'm going to take the dog from the owner and um, bring it in. We need to kind of be thinking about what we're touching. Obviously, you know, with the owner, we're going to not be able to physically distance as we're passing an animal or, or getting an animal from the owner. And so it's making certain that I have masks on, making certain that the um, the owner has masks on. And then the idea of when we're coming into um, our facility is, you know, once the animal is in um, the exam room, washing your hands because, you know, we've now touched a bunch of things. And so it's that idea of, of our hand hygiene. Um, but it's really, I think, if, if you know, if we're, if, if the, the, the client is wearing a mask and if we're wearing a mask and we are, you know, a quick uh, exchange with the animals or or if we're having to stand and, and, you know, give them the final assessment that we're, you know, distancing appropriately, I think all of that, um, you know, does help and, and is really what we need to do to prevent uh, any sort of infection transmission. But it, it would be, you know, for a cat, if you have a carrier or a dog, you've got the leash, I would be, you know, in my mind, very conscious of that could be contaminated, and so making certain that I am washing my hands and I'm keeping my hands off of my face um, and and really being that type of uh, mentality, I guess. Hand wipes or washing hands? Is one better than the other? So I... um, my, 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 my preference is when I have access to soap and water, I would wash my hands. Um, you know, and I think using hand sanitizer is perfect, um, you know, for that time where I can't step away to wash my hands. Mm-hmm. When I'm out and about, I love hand wipes. Um, I actually, I use baby wipes. I have them in, in my vehicle. And so I like the ability to physically 
feel that physical friction on my hands. Um, and so, you know, as long as I'm cleaning, as long as I'm, you know, doing it appropriately, the downside of using, you know, maybe a hand wipe, particularly, uh, you know, if it's, if it's an alcohol-based, you have to make certain that, you know, you're getting your appropriate contact time and doing it properly. Um, you can cheat, and so you're not maybe following all the steps, like are you, you know, cleaning between your fingers? Did you really wipe your thumbs? Some of those areas that if you're doing hand hygiene studies or audits and looking at what where people didn't clean, those are, you know, some of those areas which would have a limitation for a wipe as opposed to hand sanitizer or washing with, um, with soap and water. But, you know, I, again, it's about getting something onto your hands and, and doing that with frequency. Now, based on what you just said earlier, when I wash my hands, I should just walk away and not dry them. But I don't know that that's the case. I mean, does the the top of the exam table, does that equate with our hands? In terms of picking up uh, pathogens? No, no, in letting it dry. So you letting said, it... yeah, you said let, let it just dry on mm-hmm. its own. Do we do that with our hands? So if, if we're doing like a soap and, uh, soap and water wash, no, we'd use a paper towel. If you're using a hand sanitizer, and this is actually something that I think many of us don't necessarily think about, um, it too has a contact time just like surface disinfectants in generally 20 seconds. And if we read the product label, it's actually recommending we need to be rubbing our hands for the length of time until the, until our hands are dry. And so it's also making certain we've got an appropriate amount of hand sanitizer, but you're physically rubbing and there's friction for at least 20 seconds um, and that your hands are dry before you touch anything. All right, I have one more question for you. And uh, I'm afraid to ask. So after COVID-19, is this going to happen again? Will there be another <laughs> pathogen at some point in time that we need to worry about? I, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that I love outbreaks. Um, <laughs> what? Because it's, I know. And it, it keeps you working, it's, I me, think. It's watching history. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, things happen. It's seeing how we impact the environment. So for me, there's, there's that aspect of, of learning and seeing that history is unfolding. I mean, certainly it's, it's not the, the joy of the death or the impact. It's just that things happen. And I think we have to be realistic that this isn't going to be our last pandemic. We had, you know, if we want to go back and look at the history of human things, um, you know, in 2009, we had uh, H1N1 influenza as a pandemic. Now, we were lucky because, you know, many of our elderly population had actually had some immunity to that. So it didn't impact us as bad as what's happening with with, you know, the 2020 COVID. Certainly we had 2003 SARS and we were able to contain that um, quite well. You know, we've had Ebola hit the U.S. and typically we only think of that as, as an issue with Africa. So the truth is with our travel on a global basis and how we are, you know, taking over the environment. We're moving into and cutting down trees and moving into areas where used to be populated with animals. And so most of our pandemics are zoonotic in relation and it, and it jumps from animals to humans. And, and as we continue to kind of take over the earth, we're going to be in more uh, direct relationship with wild animals. And I think that has that, that uh, definite um, ability. And I think it's just a matter of you know, we've learned this is the first time for, you know, most where we've seen something of this nature. And I think we can't forget it. And, 
you know, there is a cost for increased infection prevention, whether it's, you know, using more gloves or more masks or more disinfectants, you know, what have you. But if we maintain, um, you know, a level of diligence and we understand if we do this, then the next pandemic we would be more prepared for. And so hopefully it's, it's not like a, oh, well, we've, you know, been there, done that idea, but the idea that we know what we need to do and we've done this before and we have confidence that we can do this again. And I think that that's really where we need to be. Okay. I learned a lot from the lady who loves pandemics. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. I apologize. No, yeah, no. It's, 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 it's history it's, in the making. It, well, that it is. Nicole Kenny, Vice President of Professional and Technical Services for Virox. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Now, if you're already registered for Fear Free, be sure to keep up with all the Fear Free happenings. Access new toolbox items and find all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you're not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast, wash your hands and then learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com.